Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hello, First Baptist Belton family. So good to be with you today with this online service. And others that are listening, uh, we're so glad that you're a part of us as well. I'm excited to open God's Word with you today, and so I invite you to open your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 5. We'll begin reading there in just one moment. I've titled my message today, A Ballast of Hope. You see, a ballast is a really heavy part of a boat. It's placed low in a boat structure to provide stability. Otherwise, the wind and the waves can easily flip the boat over. And so a boat without a ballast is unstable and can be dangerous. So as I've thought about a ballast of hope, I also think about our world. And it doesn't take long for you and me to realize that the world is hurting. The nations know pain. The darkness, death, devastation. The nations groan. People ache. They despair. But this is one of the reasons I love the Bible, especially Lamentations, because Lamentations meets people in the pain. It teaches people how to process the pain. It explains the pain, why it exists at all. But even better than that, it brings people to the God who is there, the God who understands, the God who listens, the God who saves, the God who reigns over evil and will one day bring it to an end. And so as I think about the world The world needs to hear about that God. But I also entitled the message of Ballast of Hope because I think about our church, you, people that I've grown to love and grown to uh, cherish in my time here. You see, me and you, we need to hear about this God as well, how he relates to us in our pain and struggles. How ought we to pray in our pain? What about the Lord's character should lead us to trust him in the darkness What is your ballast of hope? Lamentations chapter 5, our text today, answers these questions and provides us very instructive words. And so let's look at our text together, beginning in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless, Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. 
For this our heart has become sick, for these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. To begin, I want to answer three questions from this text. The first question is, what is the problem? What is the problem? You see, the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. is behind them. And so at this point in chapter 5, they're deeper into exile. They've been there a while. And they summarize their state with the word disgrace. You can see that in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace or reproach. That's significant because God once made Jerusalem great. The city was like a princess among the provinces, beautiful in elevation, the joy of all the land. But now, only disgrace. Well, then we read verses 2 through 18, and that that describes what disgrace included. For starters, they lost their inheritance. Integral to God's purpose was giving Israel the land of Canaan as an inheritance. At the same time, if Israel rejected God, they'd forfeit that land. God would strip it away and banish them. So in verse 2, we see that our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our home to foreigners. So they'd lost their inheritance. More than that, the people as a whole became like those without a father or without a husband, we see in verse 3. In other words, God would leave them to fend for themselves without the protection and care. In addition, they'd become vulnerable to enemy oppression. Not only did the enemy steal their property, they make them pay to drink its water. They force them to buy its lumber at unjust prices. Verse 5 adds, our pursuers are at our necks. We're weary. We're given no rest. Verse 6, we've given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. So what you have here is Israel has made pacts with foreign nations who then turn and take advantage of them. So their livelihood depends on keeping the enemies happy. Verse 8 then adds that slaves rule over us There's none to deliver us from their hand. So the social order has has flipped on them. Even the lowest class in Babylon rule them, and they do so without mercy. Even when they look for bread in the wilderness, they can't even do that without being attacked. We see in verse 10 that they say, Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. They're shriveling up from starvation. All of this enemy oppression. But that's not the end of it. Moving group by group, we see in verses 11 through 13 that it describes this ongoing social humiliation. Verse 11, women are taken advantage of in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys carry heavy loads of wood. 
So the enemies haven't just overrun the people. They keep returning to shove victory in their faces. So when you've lost your inheritance, your family, your economy, your dignity, what's left? Only sorrow upon sorrow. And that comes next in verses 14 through 18. You see there in the text, the old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. There's no delight, no dancing, no dignity. Zion is a wasteland now. Yet the deepest problem still remains untold. All of these lingering problems, losing their inheritance, being like those without a father, the enemy oppression, the social humiliation, all of those problems point to a much deeper problem, which is their broken relationship with God. In Lamentations, we're dealing with God's covenant people. God entered a special relationship and a covenant with Israel. This covenant explained the terms of their relationship with God. So if the people obeyed the Lord, he would be with them and they would have peace and rest from their enemies and they'd be given the land. But if they rejected God and rebelled against him and his word, they would see unspeakable curses and God would drive them out of the land. And that's why we hear their cry in verse 20. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Or in verse 22, they mention that God utterly rejecting them or remaining exceedingly angry with them. So this is a cry of pain and it signals that God himself has banished them. His covenant presence and power is no longer with them. He's against them. And that's actually the worst problem here. But this leads me to my second question. What caused this to happen? What caused this to happen? Why all the disgrace? Why the reproach? Why the separation from God? Well, if you'll look back at the text at verse 7, it says, our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. So the sins of prior generations have lasting consequences. But that doesn't mean they're blaming everything on prior generations, because if you look down at verse 16, it says, the crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. They have rebelled too. So we see in verse 7 and in verse 16 that the point is that sin has caused their downfall and destruction. Sin separated them from God's covenant presence and blessing. God doesn't tolerate rebellion. He will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. And that's why the exile happened. That's why God banished them from his covenant presence in the land. Sin. The result was the curse, tragedy, and ruin because of their rebellion against a holy God. So the third question. We've seen what the problem is and we've focused on why this has happened. Now let's answer the question, 
what is their ballast of hope? In the darkness, where do they turn for help? Does hope exist at all for them? Well, I want you to notice in the text three cries from the people. In their pain and struggle, give close attention to their cries. And there's three of them. The first is, Lord, remember. The second is, Lord, you reign. And the third is, Lord, restore. Let's look at the first one back in verse 1. Lord, remember. It says, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't or that God forgets them. Their exile hasn't slipped his mind. No, God sees everything and everyone. He knows all things. He knows exactly what's going on. We can read Lamentations 1 through 4 and see that he's fully aware of what's taking place. So what you have here is is covenant language. For God to remember is for God to act according to his covenant promises, especially in a way evident to his people. So think back earlier in the Old Testament to Noah. He's in the ark 150 days. And then it says, but God remembered Noah. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. That doesn't mean Noah slipped God's mind. It means God was about to act based on his covenant promises. Later on in the Old Testament, when Israel stuck in slavery, they cry out to God in Egypt. And it says in Exodus 2.24, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he acted to save them based on his commitment to glorify his grace in Abraham's offspring. Well, now you get to Lamentations. Abraham's offspring is, again, stuck in slavery because of their sin. And their only hope is that God act according to his promise to Abraham. So they cry for him to remember. God, remember your promises. They want them, God to look and see their disgrace and to act on it. So when the isolation of exile crashes against the sides of their ship, the grace of God becomes a massive ballast that keeps them centered. The next cry is, Lord, you reign. Look at verse 19 with me. Lord, you reign, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Note the contrast with verses 17 through 18. It says, our heart has become sick. Our eyes have grown dim. Mount Zion lies desolate. But you, O Lord, reign. Think about it for a moment. What was Mount Zion to Israel? Zion was the place God manifested his earthly rule. But now Zion is in shambles. So is God's reign over? Is Babylon more powerful than God? Is God not strong enough to fulfill his promises after all? See, that's the kind of questions you begin to ask when you're in exile and in the pain. But the point here is to say, no way. God manifested his rule in Jerusalem, but God's reign was never limited to an earthly city. His throne is in heaven 
Babylon isn't more powerful. God is using them like pawns. God destroyed the city Himself as a judgment. He is in control of all of it. Every bit. So their prayer becomes, the fall is awful, the tragedy hurts, the pain is unbearable at times, but you, O Lord, you reign. And your throne is forever. So friends, when the storm of exile crash against the sides of their ship, the sovereignty of God becomes a massive ballast that keeps them centered. You see, God's sovereignty doesn't remove the questions of why. You can see in verse 20, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? So it doesn't answer the question of why, but it does answer the who question. The Lord reigns, and He is all we need to walk through the storms. Lord, remember. Lord, You reign. And the last cry is in verse 21. Lord, restore. See what it says there. It says, Restore us to Yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Their prayer is that God would restore them. And this is God acting and and causing it to happen. So if anything changes in their relationship, God must initiate it. So their prayer is, Lord, cause us to return to Yourself and we will return. Do something in our hearts to restore us to Yourself. Do the miracle inside that, that makes us return to You and we will return. You see, friends, the pain of the exile is doing what God designed it to do. It's returning the people to himself. The best thing that can happen in pain is a closer relationship with the Lord. So when the doubt and pain of exile crash against the sides of their ship, the power of God becomes a massive ballast that keeps them centered. You see, so the way forward in their exile is a very God-centered one. Lord, remember and act according to your covenant promises. Lord, you reign forever and nothing challenges your authority and your throne. And Lord, restore us to yourself so that renewal comes. God's grace, God's sovereign rule, and God's power to change hearts. That's their ballast of hope. As we close, I want to leave you with a few exhortations. The first one is this. Trust the sovereignty of God. You and I need the weight of God's sovereignty in the bottom of our boat to endure this life. Our Father rules right now no matter what situation you're in. If you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, He rules and He reigns. He is in control of all things. He's working out His wise, sovereign plans. And even if we don't understand all the whys, we can trust that He's in control and that it is serving His good purpose for His glory and for your good. Trust the sovereignty of God. Secondly, draw near to the Lord in the challenges of life. Now, I know that may sound obvious, but we need to remember this. 
it's not uncommon for some kind of suffering or pain or struggle to come into our lives. And at the first few weeks, we really do well. But as the struggle continues, as it moves on day by day by day and never seems to go away, it can become all-consuming. It occupies all of our thoughts. We begin to search the Internet for solutions. Struggle can easily begin to define us if we're not careful. But Lamentations reminds us not to let suffering and pain consume us like this. Our relationship with God determines who we truly are. We are His people. And we're to bring our pain before the Lord. And God actually is concerned for us. He means for us to bring our pain and to process it with Him, not apart from Him. Notice again the people's prayer. Restore us to Yourself. O Lord. Yes, a change in circumstances would be nice, but that's not their prayer. You see, to have the land and the health and the rest once again and still be without God would be damning. Their first concern isn't a change in their circumstances. Their first concern is their relationship with God. To have the Lord Himself So my challenge, my encouragement to you is to make these prayers, these cries your own. Cry out to the Lord. Restore me to yourself, O Lord, that I may be restored. Don't just pray to God for your circumstances to change. Don't just pray to God to take away your anger, your lust, your lack of self-control. Don't just pray that He would change your marriage or make your children more submissive. And those are great prayers. But what good is it if after all of those things change, And you still don't have God. He's the end. He's the prize. He's the treasure. Restore us to yourself, O God. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Draw near to God in the challenges of life. And finally, tell others about the God who meets them in their pain. You know people who are hurting at work, at school, in your community, your neighborhood, maybe even in your own family, in this church. There are people who are in very dark places right now. I want to challenge you to think of a person that you can talk to this week. Write their name down. Begin to pray that God would open up doors for you to listen to their sorrow and then point them to the God who meets them there. Begin with the people right in front of you. Every day the Lord places people in our life and their pain manifests itself in various ways. But this text teaches us about a God who rules over their dark situations, who is rich in steadfast love and mercy, and who restores and renews. Lamentations creates inroads to the gospel. So take advantage of opportunities this week to tell others about the God who meets them in their pain. Trust the sovereignty of God. Draw near to the Lord in the challenges of life and tell others about the God who meets them there. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for time in your word that we can draw near to you, we can learn from it. And Holy Spirit, I pray that um, you you will move in the hearts of people and God, that these would become our cries, our prayers. 
I don't know who's listening and the pain and the darkness that they're in right now. The struggle that they're facing. But God, I pray that they would trust your sovereignty. They would draw near to you. And that they would also seek out others that are going through situations that they can point them to you and your loving kindness. So God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining us and being a part of our online service. You will see on the screen ways to connect with us, a phone number, an email. Maybe you've been listening today and you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus and to submit to him. Or maybe you have some prayer needs or a way that we as a church could reach out to you. So please feel free to connect with us and we'll be, we'll be glad to do that this week. I want to close with our doxology um, in Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or if you just want to talk to somebody. We're here to listen. If you would like more information, visit our church website at www.fbcbelton.org. We're located at 506 North Main in Belton, Texas, and would love to see you soon.